I thought I was lazy and I just always had this thing in my head that was like, find what you're passionate about, find what you're passionate about. And I was like, but how? Like, how do I figure that out? And it was through trying different things. I was really lucky that I found fitness because then when I started moving in that direction, I was like, oh, the missing link was that I just needed to give a shit about what I was doing and be doing something that was making an impact. I went through a breakup five months ago. Through that, had really bad anxiety that took away my appetite and I lost like five kilos. And I had so many people messaging, you're looking amazing, you're glowing and all this stuff and you get that positive reinforcement when you lose fat and I've got an amazing community where they'll message and be like hey not that it's about how you look but you're looking amazing and I'm like thanks I appreciate that the diet's called have your heart broken and stop eating a lot of women come to us who have just been living on low calorie diets so the biggest challenge is getting them to trust us that okay, if you eat more food, you're not going to like blow up and gain all this weight. They don't even realize the negative effects of eating low calories are having on their body, like their performance, their sleep, their recovery, their mood. And when they start eating more, they really start to see it and understand, oh, I was under eating and I didn't even realize I was. My name is Soph Allen and this is Life, Money and Love. Just quickly before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, ready to go? Ready to roll? We're on. Soph, Alan, we have on the podcast today, killing it in so many ways. Um, I'm excited to chat about so many things. We just had a little pre-podcast podcast, so I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper into everything we were saying, but well, I'll give you a quick intro and then you, if you can let everyone know kind of who you are, what you do, and I think that'd be really cool, but... Soph um, has been in, in, in the business content creation world for a while now uh, as a certified PT and recently built your own app, Train with Soph, training, programming, diet, that sort of stuff. Obviously, I want to talk about all that journey with you, unpack all the lessons you've had um, doing that for yourself and building that business and how the business has grown as you've grown, but also chat about kind of the client side and, and, and the things you see with clients and what works and the mental roadblocks people need to work through to, to see their best results. And then on the flip side of that, we also do, obviously they're really interconnected is you're, you're an amazing content creator, not an influencer, as they would say, a little bit of an ick word for us, but uh, over a million um, followers across platforms. And I know across in, uh, Instagram and TikTok, and I know that's such a silly vanity metric, but it just goes to show like the stuff that you share your content about and the stuff that I really want to talk about later in the podcast is like the real raw, vulnerable things that not a lot of people share about. And some of the topics that you've discussed has been some of the most relatable content and it's gone so viral because if it's going that viral, that many people are interested in it and it would be helping so many people. Some of the topics you talk about, which we'll get into, um, I think is awesome. So thanks for coming in. I know you're not in Sydney for too long, so I really appreciate you giving us some of your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited, but I'm like, don't do a lot of in-person podcasts. So I'm like, this is a different vibe, but like, good in podcast po podcast is so much better mm. like in, in my opinion like i when i was doing a lot of podcasts as a guest I, I still do some but it's like it's so much harder you know over zoom like do i stop talking now you wait for them you've got the yeah. internet lags and stuff so hopefully um this is a good experience for you everyone usually has a bit of fun here but tell tell everyone listening that doesn't already know you kind of who you are and, and what you spend your time doing these days yeah so i'm a personal trainer business owner content creator whole lot of words that uh, just weird when I say next <laughs> to my name because uh, my background is, you know, I've got a degree in architecture. I worked in that for a bit. I've worked in corporate. So this wasn't necessarily the life I had like planned out for myself or thought would happen. But here we are. I'm not complaining. Um, so, yeah, mostly spent a lot of time sitting at my computer working and building the business, the, the non-glamorous side that people probably don't really see a lot of. 
and creating content and, you know, training and that's sort of the the day-to-day. But I got qualified as a personal trainer through my own experience of hating what I looked like in the mirror. And, you know, a lot of people's journeys start with having a problem themselves and figuring out a solution and then helping people do the same. So that was very much how I got into what I was doing and I started documenting it on Instagram and following started to grow. I started to become super passionate and obsessed. And then that's how the business was grown. And and I'm just really passionate about helping women build their confidence and learn and understand training and nutrition from a really evidence-based mindset. Cause I think there's a lot of like shit out there that's just misinformation and people are still really confused. And I was confused and I had really bad experiences with losing weight, regaining weight, not understanding why it was happening and really bad relationship with food and my body. And these are all things that I just want to prevent women from going through if I can. So that's really what I've poured into the app and what I do from a day-to-day perspective. Yeah. I'm definitely want to speak to you about all of that because as we know, the whole body image for men and women, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's a lot for men, but particularly for women, it's such a big struggle. And it's something that I want to speak to you about a little bit later about how we can, or what some of the things you've done to help you unravel that and start seeing with more of a clear lens and not all those things that you pick up in your adolescence or your childhood that like you start believing is part of you, but it's not really. So I want to speak about all that, but it's so funny. You said same thing as me, obviously now I do a lot of podcasts, so it's fun, but it's, it's the least glamorous side where you spend, you know, 12 hours a day at a computer that not a lot of people see, but it's so part of the process and you just can't get away from that. So I like to be really honest about what goes into things, but where I want to start just from what you said is like, this wasn't always the life that you, you, you planned and figured out you went to uni for architecture. How did, how did you move from architecture? Something like obviously more of like a traditional job where everyone would have looked back in school. Like you go to uni and go that, that's very respectable. But did you start to find that I'm not really loving this or what, what was, what was your thought process going through that? You know what? I thought I was lazy. I was doing my full-time job and I was like, I am a shit worker. I have shit work ethic. I'm never going to do anything good because I'm not loving what I'm doing. I'm not like putting in the hard yards. I'm not getting here early and being one of those exemplary people who are going to like climb through the corporate ladder. Even when I changed jobs, I was the same, you know, I would do what I needed to do. And i thought quite poorly of myself because I was like, oh, this is this like my life? Am I just someone who is living for the weekend? And that just, I hated that. And it just, yeah, it wasn't for me, but I, I was really lucky that I found fitness because then when I started moving in that direction, I was like, oh, the missing link was that I just needed to give a shit about what I was doing and be doing something that was making an impact. I also felt really constrained by the lack of flexibility and freedom that was something I really yearned for. And, you know, in your own business, you mightn't necessarily have a lot of those things because you work more hours, but you have more choice in how that is structured and how you set that up and you actually put in those hours because you want to. So yeah, I started out doing architecture and I was so unsure about it. And I just always had this thing in my head that was like, find what you're passionate about, find what you're passionate about. And I was like, but how, like, how do I figure that out? And it was through trying different things. It was through, like, I went back to uni and got a marketing degree and then I got an internship. And then I worked for a company called Tribe in influencer marketing in the digital space. And whilst doing that, I really got into my fitness and 
between that, I worked in makeup. Like, I don't know anything about makeup. That was not for me, but it was something that I tested and tried and, and figured that out really quickly. And fitness was just really what I was spending my time, my spare time reading about. And what I was really interested in sharing with people on Instagram, being asked about my journey and how I achieved the results and what I was doing and how I was training and what I was eating and how I was staying consistent. And the more I was talking about that, the more I just loved it. And it just, the account grew, my results with it. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to take the leap and make this my career, which was, I'm so glad of how naive I was when I started. I definitely want to speak to you about that moment, but you said something about like, oh, you felt like you you were lazy or you couldn't concentrate. And I feel like there's there's something really fundamentally wrong with like the, I don't want to get into this too much because I've spoken about it before, but like the education system, because like the way that I realized that I, what I would want to do with my kids is put them to, into like more of a Montessori program where like they're, they're encouraged to find what their passions are and what, and what, they're interested in because that's the missing link. So many people always want to know how, how can I get more done? How can I be less distracted? Uh, get more work done. And like, so, so much nowadays, like everyone is prescribed like medication for like ADHD and all this Ritalin and stuff. But really it's like, because humans a lot are, are meant to be like a lot more creative than, than we are when we follow like the path that's put out for everyone. And while that path does work for a lot of people, it doesn't work for everyone else. So it's like, sometimes and I was the same. I was a really shit employee. Like I, um, I always did like, okay. In, in, in my jobs, because like I had like this natural, like I was pretty smart. I had this like natural, like kind of talent to, to do things, but I was doing the bare minimum just to get by. And I was kind of making myself feel guilty about it. Like, cause I know, I always knew what my like ceiling could be, but like until you step out of that and you find something that makes you feel really good, and make you want to, you know, spend time, you know, going deeper on things, learning more about things. I don't think any of us are going to really realize our potential. So true. And so true about the whole like trajectory of like starting at school. It was, I was at like at a fancy private school where it's drilled into you that you get good grades and then you choose a university degree and then you go out and you work in that. And it's such an old school way of thinking like generations before us, that was the way they did things and they've passed that down. But now it's really being disrupted with technology and, and platforms like social media out there that give people more awareness of what's possible and then also more ability to go out and do what they want to do. So I think it's so good that it's being disrupted. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I want to ask you something because I'm lucky in the sense that I'm missing some sort of um, thing in my brain because like that, you know how you got through, you finished your degree, got into architecture, and but you were still thinking the whole time, oh, I don't really think this is for me. I went and did law in uni and I lasted like two or three months. I just couldn't put myself through it. But what was it for you? What gave you that confidence to, to take that risk? Because it's such a big thing. And I know a lot of people want to do it, but sometimes they struggle with like ripping off that bandaid, believing in themselves enough to just take the risk and, and, and commit to it, at least giving it a crack. Yeah. When it comes to starting the business. Yeah. Like to, to yeah. stepping out and saying, I'm not going to follow that traditional path. I'm going to back myself and, you know, really give this a crack, even though it is a risk and it's not traditionally what people would be encouraged to do. It's not the safe route, but what was it for you that helped you make that decision and just go for it? It's actually really surprising now I look back on it. And I think it's fortunate that, like I said earlier, I was quite naive and I was surrounded by people who were kind of doing similar things. So it felt a little bit more normal because I'm a very persistent person. Like with my degree, 
I didn't like it and I was like, I don't think I'm going to use this, but I was like, I have to finish this. And I don't know if it was like a healthy mindset or not, but I was like, I can't, if I quit this and being what is associated with what I thought being a quitter was, so like I just have to at least get the degree so that it was worth all that time. And then I was so persistent with trying it because I think I was scared of what the alternative meant, which was the unknown. What am I going to do if I don't do this? But then when it came to business, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have much savings. It was, it was actually so dumb. <laughs> How Like I'm so lucky that it worked. But I was just getting to the point with work where I just wasn't really enjoying it. And I was like, I need to make a change. I had some other influencer content creator friends. Love that this is our in joke. Um, Content creator friends who were really pushing me and driving me and encouraging me to do it. And one day I just literally ripped the bandaid off. I was like, here's my resignation. Like I'm done. And I was like, what I'm going to do? I don't know. Like I knew it was going to be something in fitness and I would coach people. And I was really fortunate that I'd spent years building my social media platform to be able to do this because there were people ready and waiting, but I didn't do any like research and ask people if they were interested in like having programs done for them. I just did it and fumbled my way forward and really lucky it's worked out to this yeah. point. But the thing is, if it didn't work out and you gave it six months and then you kind of ran out of money, you're like, okay, you can go get another job and then save up a bit of money and then try again with the learnings that you got from that first experience where you would have done some things right, probably more things wrong, but that's just part of the process. Not everyone hits it off the first business that they start. You said something as well that that's really interesting. You, what encouraged you to start making the content and stepping out more and more into that fitness world is you had other friends that were doing something similar. I think that's such an important thing for people. It took me, it took me to have a, a similar sort of experience where I met, I actually, cause I did the law thing, hated that. I'm like, what's the opposite of law? Did acting for like five years. Oh, wow. I know completely. I wasn't a drama kid in school or anything. And then I'm like, you know, I, I kind of have to try some sort of more normal career here. So I went back. I'm like, now I'll, I'll try the corporate thing in sales. Cause I didn't have a degree. I'm like, let me do sales. I worked my way up, blah, 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 blah. Um, hated that as well, but that's that's not the point. My point is I've met the first person ever. This would have been 2017, 2016. So e-com, that whole thing was pretty new. We started a little e-com business selling like ties and pocket squares and that sort of stuff. And I bought some and thought, like, how do you have your own business? Like we, we work at the same place. He says, oh, I just got some products, put a website together, started selling it. And it took me seeing people doing the same thing to realize, oh, well, I can do that. But now- even in the last, like, what's that, like eight, seven, eight years ago, there's so much more information. There's so many people like yourself, like myself, sharing about all this stuff. So the people that don't necessarily have the people in their direct circle doing that, if you just look around on on, on social media, you'll find people, I guarantee you'll find someone doing that has already gone on the path that you want to go on. So you can also use that as an inspiration. So I think that's a really important part, and I'm glad that you brought that up. But talk to me about the day that you handed in your resignation and how how are you feeling? Were you excited? Were you nervous? How did it go down? Yeah, I was nervous and I bitched out a little bit and I (laughs) like sent it via email instead of like speaking to my manager. I was actually in Melbourne um, and I was living in Sydney at the time. I was down at the Melbourne office and I sent the email and then she called me straight away and she's like, you've done a soap and you've just like bitched out and sent me this email instead of telling me, I was like, I don't know how to quit. Like, how do you even quit? Um, but yeah, I was like, I was just excited. I was excited for the next chapter. I think 
I've potentially become more risk averse as the stakes have gotten higher now. Whereas back then it was like, I hadn't started. There was like only opportunity and the unknown. And it was really exciting to just try all these different things. Whereas now it's sort of like, you've got employees, you've got people to pay, you've got a certain standard that you want to withhold. So making those bigger risk decisions just come with more loss, but like, I'm, I'm the same um, because like you have something to lose now, whereas before you kind of didn't or like yeah. even even that like before when like you're in the first like year of business and like everything's just really easy and you go, everything's going well, like you don't realize that that's not what the world and business is like. There's going to be ups and downs. Um, so I've been the same, but I think it, it can serve you as well. The way I like to think, of, think about it and the way I kind of try and like still protect myself and my assets, but still I recognize that like it was the growth mindset and the risk taking that got to me to where I am today. It's kind of like the, who, who wants to be a millionaire analogy. Have you ever, you know, how that works. Like obviously you got to answer like whatever 15 questions, get to the top, but every like four, like five, six questions, if you get that right and then you go up, you, you only go back down to that. So you at least get that down. So I like to have these systems in place where I know this is my baseline and I can risk pushing for that. And then I know I'm not going to let myself go down past this point. And that's helped me take a little bit more risks and everything. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Um, what, do, what do you think about that? Are you happy be, becoming more risk adverse and more like financially aware or did you find you did your best work with a little bit more freedom and not too many like considerations to like put pressure on the decisions you need to make? Yeah, I think again, it comes back to just being naive, like not really understanding what I had to lose back then. Um, I think I agree with you. Like you need to keep pushing the boundaries and pushing things and trying different things to be creative and to grow a business. You can't just keep doing the same thing. You know, you've got your bread and butter, you've got your things that work, but if you want to keep growing and keep changing it and and challenging the way you're running things, you do need to take risks and try new things. And that's, you know, a mindset that I'm constantly working on, whether it's in therapy or just the content that I consume is to really change the way you you see failure as just it's inevitable in some way shape or form it's just how you actually deal with it once it happens and how you pivot when it it does inevitably happen is what makes a business sustainable I guess and how do you see failure or 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 those smaller failures as part of the journey now versus say like five years ago has it changed yeah you look at you definitely look at it differently because you've overcome them in the past so you're like well, I know that it sucks at the time. You don't necessarily want to go through it, but you do know that you can turn it into something and it often turns into something better. You know, like when employees quit, for instance, it's like, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm not going to find someone as good as this person. And then you find someone better. It's just trying to remind yourself because you've lived it multiple times in different settings before that you do overcome it. It just at the time it's hard. So I think it does make you become more resilient when it comes to decision-making and just trusting that you will be okay. Yeah, for sure. Now I want to ask you something about that business journey that you've been on because I've spoke to a lot of people now that have built an app or gone through trying to develop an app. I know there's a lot of challenges in that. What's one that sticks out? We've just spoken about overcoming failures and, and being able to move on with them. What's, what's, what's a challenge or a failure that you've had to overcome in business that stands out to you most? And what was kind of the lesson that you took away from that? Have contracts. Yeah. <laughs> have- you know, I've heard this as well with, yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Just, just having it, you know, you can have the best intentions with people who are friends or who, you know, or whatever, but 
have a contract, sign a contract before you start any work, get a lawyer to look over it. I don't care if it's going to cost you, just do it. Because I'm like, I've got a brand new app that is launching this year and it was ready a year ago, but I haven't been able to launch it for like, there have been legal implications with it. So that's been really frustrating. That's held things back. Uh, so that's definitely one. Um, but yeah, the, the current app that I have is through a third party provider. So there have been a lot of lessons that I've been able to take into building an app from scratch, which has been a whole process in itself. I'm sure um, if you've spoken to people, like you said, who've built apps, it's just a, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's motivated your decision? Because there are a lot of private able apps, apps for many different industries that do a, that do a good job that, that can service your needs. Obviously it's not going to be exactly what you want, but what's been some of the decisions that have motivated you to want to build your own app rather than white labeling? Yeah, I think it's an interesting process and journey that you go through from you know, the start of your business when you don't have much money because technology is really expensive. So it was a really good starting point to learn a lot about user needs and what people want and what works and what doesn't work, what's important, what you should prioritize when you're building an app and just a good platform to build the capital to actually invest in having that that app because it is a very different way of running your business when you go through a third-party provider who take care of feature roadmaps, bug fixes, you know, trusting that the technology is going to be good to then finding people, spending that money, learning to, you know, read the data and understand what people are wanting and what they're using and how to actually grow it. Because I'm not a a chief technical officer, but I'm probably going to have to step into a role like that once this app launches and make all different kinds of decisions. But I also have 100% control over all the features and making sure they're coming out when I want them to and using the data because I haven't really had access to data to make the decisions. And I want to be a data-driven business where I'm making decisions based off of that. And I just have, it's been a huge gap in the business for me. And then considering about your long-term plans and goals with it down the line, if I want to sell it, I can't sell it from a third-party provider if they own own it. So I've made sure I own all my IP. I own all the clients and their data, which was I'm glad I had that advice. And I am really excited to just have more control around the whole, you know, from user experience to feature development. Yeah. It's such an important part and it's a massive step. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're thinking one year plan, like building it up is not going to be good, but five, 10 years, it's really, it's, it's, it's a massive asset for you and your business. But like we had a, son, a guy, Sonny Webster on a few weeks ago. Um, and he put like, and he said this on the podcast, so it's public info. Like he put like, Three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars into an app, um, and like just could never get it to the point that he was happy with. And then he realized, you know what? Was I? And this is where everyone's situations and long term plan come in, and why you need to consider if you're considering building an app. He's like, did I actually really need to build this amazing app with all the bells and whistles, or was that me and a little bit of ego thinking the next step is building an app? But there's so much money and so much time and and, and effort into it. If it didn't really fit what he was going to do with it anyway, so it's like. If you're in that space, which I mean, to be building an app, there's only so many people that are at that level. It's not an automatic yes for every single person. So make sure you do consider that because there's so much involved, as you would know, just building it from from where you got it to now. Um, but the app, obviously, it's about training programs, diet. Talk to me more about the 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 purpose of it and what sort of 
results it's built around and what kind of it can help people with. And then we'll talk about kind of the, the mentality behind actually seeing the results and things. Hmm. Yeah. So there are a lot of apps out there. There's, you know, it's obviously a very saturated market, which I think is a good thing because it means there's demand. So there are apps out there that are like lower price points that are just like, here's your stock standard template training programs. And then you've got your other end, which is not necessarily an app, but like your premium one-on-one coaching Train with Surf currently sits in the middle of that. So it's a combination of lower price point for what you get, where it's more customized and it's more education-based training and nutrition. So we've got like our customer support team who are all PTs. So they actually really understand all the training programs, the dynamics that go into that. Um, they've got, you know, nutri- nutrition uh, understanding as well. And then there are dietitians who um, take care of all the, the nutrition So they'll get like their custom training, their custom nutrition, but we put a huge emphasis on education and making sure the girls actually understand why they're doing what they're doing so that if they do leave Train With Surf, I don't just want them for their money and to like, you know, have that. I want them to actually walk away with the knowledge so that they can sustain whatever the results that they've gained with us are, because I think that's a huge gap in the market where people will get their results. And and this is what I experienced because I didn't understand, like I did a bikini competition. I didn't understand that I was going to regain weight afterwards. So I just kept trying to diet. And then I like really messed up my body and my relationship with my body and food and just spent years trying to stay lean where my body just didn't want to stay. And I just don't want that to happen to the girls that I coach or just anyone, any, any person out there. Cause it's a really hard journey to go through. It's a really long journey to go through. And when you're at that leanest point, um, obviously you might, yeah, you might look great on stage if you're doing a comp, but it's not sustainable. And then talk to me about some of the negative effects that it did have on, on your body and, and I'm sure your hormones and your emotions as well being so lean. Yeah. So you, you, it affects your sleep. It affects your sex drive. It affects your focus. It affects your hormones. My skin was really bad. You can have digestive issues. Um, you're just starving, like, um, unsatiably so, um, it affects your training performance. So you're, you're having really poor sessions. It affects your recovery and your ability to build muscle because you're not getting enough food in to help that process to even help with recovery. And then mentally, it's like once you get to that level of leanness, that's kind of where, where you identify as being. So that becomes your marker for, oh, this is my like standard. So when you gain any weight beyond that, it's like, at least for me, I felt like I was failing and I just constantly wanted to stay there and it was so unhealthy for my hormones and it just, it took a really long time to be okay with wherever my, my body was sitting. And like as a woman and, and men as well, but women in particular, our bodies go through so many changes, even in a month, like with your pe- with your period, like you're going to fluctuate with weight, water retention, not every woman, but a lot of women do, but women, you know, carry babies or they, you just prioritize things differently and your weight changes a lot. And I think we have this expectation that we're going to stay the same weight forever and maintain a weight that we were at, at say school. And then when you don't, you're like, oh, I've failed. I'm not at the society standard of what my weight should be or the healthy BMI, whatever that might be. BMI is so so wrong anyway, yeah. like that never works for anyone, but that weight, you know, when that staged comp weight that you're putting these unrealistic expectations on yourself 
And if you don't realize that those unrealistic expectations, it's going to start to have an effect emotionally, not just physically. What, what did you have to realize to make that change? Be like, no, what I'm doing isn't actually right. I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Like if you want to do a comp, that's fine, but be aware, got to be very aware that that's a comp. And then like you weren't aware or you weren't told that you're obviously going to put on weight afterwards and that, but what was it for you that made you snap out of that and realize, Hey, I actually want to do it in a more healthy, sustainable way. It took a long time. It took years and it took, it wasn't even really my own realization. It was my body's realization because I had gone from being so lean to then gaining a bit of weight and the weight that I'd gained was actually healthy. I could have just stayed there and life would have been very, a lot easier than it was. And I just kept going back into deficits and losing fat and then regaining it and losing it. And then I just was always so fixated and focused on what I was eating and what my body fat percentage was and how much I, I weighed and couple this with having a business that is very dependent on your body and what you look like and being on social media and showing up and having people comment on what you look like and seeing you through all these stages. It was just the perfect storm for a really bad relationship with it. But it got to a point where I was really struggling to lose fat. And because I was in this toxic cycle of like gaining and, and losing and gaining and losing, it just, I found it really hard to one, be like consistent with the deficit and actually stick to it because my body was like, just eat, please just eat consistently for a really long time. And so I'd gained like more than uh, 12 kilos heavier than I am now and I was so uncomfortable gaining that weight, but I couldn't lose it. And at that point I was like, I have to do something different. If I want a result that I can sustain and maintain, what I'm doing clearly isn't working. And I really, I sat in this uncomfortable weight for about six months and eventually went into a deficit. And since then I've been able to maintain within, you know, a couple of kilos of that. So it was just my body being so stubborn with the fat loss and having enough that really pushed me to be like, I have to make a change. That's the amazing thing about the human body. If you don't listen to it in the warning signs, eventually it's going to make you do it anyway. But what was the thing you said? You took six months in that uncomfortable state, went back into a deficit and, and it started to work. But what was that change that you made that allowed you to get back on track and achieve the things and live in that healthy range? So I just worked. My focus wasn't, oh, I'm going to go in a deficit. I took that off the table for as long as I could. So I ate at maintenance, maybe a little bit of a surplus just for six months where I was just working on my relationship with food and not tracking as much because tracking calories is a really good tool to use for fat loss, but I don't think it's really good sustainably and it can mess up a lot of people's relationships with food because you start just seeing it as a number. And I was eating food consistently. I was focusing on performance and training and I was trying to work through those negative thoughts that I was having with myself about my body and what I was seeing because I was sitting at a weight that I wasn't happy with. And I was like, you might enter another deficit and quote unquote fail. So you need to be okay with where you're at and understand that you're more than what you see in the mirror. And I'm not going to say that I came to a 100% place where no matter what I look like, I'd be happy but I got quite close. And once I got to that point, I entered a, a short eight week deficit and my body responded like that. And it was like, thank you for giving me food for the last six months and just being consistent. And then in this deficit, bang, lost a whole lot of weight. And then after that, I was like, because I did it in a way 
where I hadn't been depriving myself to just really low calories for a really long time, I was able to reverse and maintain that and made a rule with myself to only ever enter a deficit once a year, maybe twice, but I've, I've just been maintaining that for the last few years. And that's been a really good rule because I'm like, we can't live in a deficit. It's a really big one that, that relationship to food, because as we all know, what we, what we can, well, what we think about like becomes our reality and we become that if you're constantly thinking about food and weight loss in this negative way and it overtakes your thoughts, it becomes like this self-fulfilling uh, prophecy where like you get stuck in that like toxic cycle of like doing everything you can and under like starving your body and not really getting results. And then you blow back up and it's just not this healthy, it's not this healthy balanced state. And you, 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 you put my head back to, to a guest we had on who's really into bodybuilding. Like recently um, he's got an amazing physique, like bodybuilder kind of vibes, but he was talking about how he, he like be on an airplane and he's, counting his calories and mixing things on an airplane and just thought it's, it must be such an exhausting way to live, to, to have that constant fear around food. Is that something that you see a lot with the, with the women you work with? And it's like, I know you're not like a, a, a counselor or anything to help with that, but how do you get people to, to, to remove that um, fear of food and, and, and that needing to control every little bit? Because like you like said, like, I'm sure you actually achieve your most results now without tracking every little detail, every little macro, every little calorie, because it's not sustainable. How do you, how do you help other people, whether it be men or women? I know you work predominantly with women, remove that fear of food. A lot of women come to us who have just been living on low calorie diets. So the biggest challenge is getting them to trust us that, okay, if you eat more food and we do it in a way where we're gradually putting that food into you, you're not going to like blow up and gain all this weight. And it's once they start experiencing that, that their mindset starts to shift a bit. Cause they're like, they don't even realize the negative effects of eating low calories are having on their body, like their performance, their sleep, their recovery, their mood. And when they start eating more and they start, you know, PBing in the gym, sleeping better, have better digestion, better skin, they see all the other positive things that come with that. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, adding an extra thousand calories or anything like that. You know, we add a few hundred, try to get them up to, you know, I don't know, 1800, 2000, 2100, depend, it's going to be different for everyone, but that's not enough to cause someone to gain a whole lot of weight. And if they're still remaining active, you know, going for a daily walk, training three, four, five times a week, putting in the effort in those sessions and being consistent, not having, you know, blowouts with binge eating, whatever, because that's a whole different category. This isn't necessarily a simple fix for a lot of people. But once they start seeing those benefits, that's where the change really, they really start to see it and understand, oh, I was under eating and I didn't even realize I was. Yeah. That binge eating thing you mentioned, I know it's a, it's a separate thing. Is that something that you've spent time researching or have, I don't know, have you ever struggled with that yourself? Or have you worked with a lot of women that have struggled with binge eating? Yeah. I think there's a, a misconception around what binge eating actually is. A lot of people overeat and have a hard time, you know, stopping or eating like a whole block of chocolate. I wouldn't classify that as binge eating. People who binge eat go into this state where they don't even realize they're doing it and they're sort of dissociate and are eating like huge amounts of food and have secretive behaviors around it. Um, and it's, it's a psychological thing that they should work with, with someone who's qualified with disordered eating, um, because it's an it's a disorder. It's not sort of like a a negative thing like overeating that 
is affecting your goals and maybe the way you feel about yourself. So I've never had like clinical binge eating disorder, but I've definitely had unhealthy eating habits where I just want to eat like yeah, a block of chocolate and then I feel really bad about it afterwards, but I'm not like purging or doing any of those disordered behaviors after it. Um, there's a guy who I follow on Instagram. He's a psychologist and he specializes in binge eating and I've been doing his course. I have been really bad with doing it, but I've got that course because like education is, is such a powerful tool that we use at train with. So, so having that knowledge to be able to help women through that and direct them as best we can. But yeah. I always recommend seeing a psychologist yeah. is from what, from your understanding is, is it from, from what I've heard in conversations I've had is, is it a lot of the time it, it linked to triggers as well? Like certain triggers that will trigger like the binge eating thing. And like, like you said, sometimes you almost go into autopilot and don't realize what's happening. Yeah. I think a lot of people can have emotional responses, stress responses, like Think about someone at the end of the day who's had a stressful day and like, oh, I'm going to have a glass of wine and that's a habit that they've got. It can be like, it can be like that. It can be a reaction to a trigger. It can be a reaction to seeing a photo of yourself or it can be, I think there are a handful of things, but I think it is more so a, a reaction to a trigger than just a an everyday kind of habit. I, I wanted to ask you about something you mentioned and it's like so much of your business and everything you do is linked to your body and like how you can train and, and, and that sort of stuff, that would be a really taxing experience for anyone to go through. How do you manage that? It's really tough. I'm actually having a bit of a tough time with it at the moment, to be honest. Um, I went through a breakup five months ago and through that had really bad anxiety that took away my appetite and I lost like five kilos. And I had so many people messaging, you're looking amazing, you're glowing and all this stuff. And you get that positive reinforcement when you lose fat. And I've got an amazing community where they'll message and be like, hey, not that it's about how you look, but you're looking amazing. And I'm like, thanks, I appreciate that. The diet's called have your heart broken and stop eating. Like it's not something I'd recommend, but it still made me feel good, which like sucks. Um, and then I've regained a bit of that weight because I'm eating again. And it's like I look what I looked like before, which was fine, but now I've got that thing in my head where I'm like, oh, everyone was saying I look good and have I failed by regaining? Like those old thoughts are coming back and I'm really glad that I have the awareness around it. I work with a therapist um, and I, I love normalizing therapy because I think it's still got a stigma around it. Um, but talking about these things and understanding them and understanding your triggers and your responses to certain things is a really important way to go about it. But having boundaries with social media is really important. Like there are some things that just do not affect me that people say that they're trying to get a, a response out of me. But when it comes to something that is already a sensitive topic like weight and something that I have struggled with for a lot of years and that is tied to my business, it's really hard. Like it's really, really hard and I have my moments and sometimes I'm feeling really good about it and it doesn't affect me and other times it really does. But I'm really big on, you know, journaling and therapy and meditating and talking about these things. So if someone comes at me and says something, I'm like, I'm going to use this to my advantage and make it a, a point to have a discussion on Instagram because if this is affecting me, this is affecting someone else and let's try and set the record straight here. So there are a few ways that I try to deal with it. Yeah. That's really, that's a really good way to go about it because like I'm assuming you would get comments from people that aren't even a part of your actual followers, a part of your community. Is it, is it certain topics that are easier to dismiss 
And is that just those certain little things that might be in an insecurity where for anyone, regardless of if they're putting out a lot of content and their business is related to their content and their body, that people are going to struggle with just comments from people on the street, people at parties. Is that something that like, obviously it's linked to what we're just speaking about, but those negative comments, have you had to, because you're so public with everything you do relating to mental health, body image, all that stuff is such a vulnerable topic, but do you have anything that you, you go to? Obviously I want to talk to you about therapy next. Like what have you been able to do to like, just, is there any mental systems you've put in place that you just like, don't let those things get to you? I think one of the things that really helped me was understanding that I'm not the only one that it's happening to. So you'll see other people's accounts getting hate. Not everyone gives it airtime. Some people are like really sassy and will reply and like put up a question that they've got that's like, you know, really awful. I do it sometimes. Some people don't even mention it. But seeing that other people get hate as well, just not that I want someone else to get hate, but it helped me feel less targeted and less personally attacked. So that was something that really helped just sort of normalize that there are just shit people out there. And I'm so fortunate that I'm surrounded by such good people that it is still a shock when you receive those kinds of comments. Um, And just having some space with social media, have like those boundaries where I take Sundays off social media so I'm not in it as much. And having aspects outside of life that aren't all dependent on social media as like a form of, validation. So really working on myself and being able to validate myself and being able to do other things that make me, me and my identity isn't wholly wrapped up in my social media presence and my business. And that was something that I did when I'd gained all that weight. I was like, I need to shift my identity from being this, you know, X weight, however much I weigh per personal trainer on Instagram. Like there are so many other things that make me, me, like my relationships with my family and you know, things that aren't so heavily related to my body and what my body is doing. Yeah. It's something a lot of people struggle with, whether it be body or business. They are two things that are really easy to get your sense of self-worth wrapped up in. So I think it's really important that we have other things. Like you said, you find other ways to, you know, validate yourself and check in with yourself, family, friends, that sort of things, because it's so easy, particularly if you've been successful or you've had a really good body. And then think, like you said, we go through different changes or business gets tough. I've seen so many people and they just completely disappear off social media and they hide from it because it's, it's, it's gotten to them to the point that they feel like they're almost worthless because they can no no longer live up to that, you know, X amount of weight that they weighed or this X amount of million dollar business. So it's a really slippery slope. And obviously one tool that you could use for that. And like you said, there's still a bit of a stigma around it. I think, I hope, I hope it's changing. I haven't done therapy, but I'm really, really keen. I've talked about this on podcast a lot, really, really keen to do it. But like, I think it's maybe more of a stigma in Australia. Like you go to like California, LA, like everyone sees a therapist because like in that world, like there's a lot of really creative, ambitious people. And in order to be successful, we know so much of our performance and how we feel and and what we can do in business and life is tied to our mental health and and how we feel about ourselves. So talk to me about using therapy as a tool and what's, what, what, what it can give to you and what it can help you work through as a person, whether it be does like, but the thing is that I, I'm so interested in is not just therapy in the low moments, but therapy every in the everyday moments or when you're trying to build, because it can be used as a tool for, for positive things doesn't necessarily. And that's maybe where the stigma comes in. doesn't necessarily, Hey, I'm feeling sad about this. Help me. Right. It can be, it can be about anything. Mm. I think a lot of people think, Oh, you only go to therapy if you're broken. And if you're broken, that means you're failing and it, it's something to be ashamed about. But yeah, I've used it for many different 
phases of my life. The first time I started therapy was after my like first proper breakup. And I think for me, relationships are one of the, and like so many other people, relationships are one of those things that really strip you back and make you completely raw and show a lot of struggles and issues and triggers and things that you have. So it's a really good opportunity for growth, but it's very uncomfortable. So that was the first experience with therapy that I had. And then I really got into my self-development and we have access to so many podcasts now and information and articles and courses and things out there that expose you to these ideas and ways of thinking. I've just always been the kind of person that I'm like, I love listening to general information, but I love getting specific. So going to therapy, it helps you come up with a bit of a plan and a map for looking at your whole life and and why you are the way you are and why certain things trigger you and why you have certain behaviors and what your values are and how you can live a more aligned life. And it's just so nice having someone in your corner who is like completely removed from your life and they're there for you to sort of like unload on and then also figure it out with you and give you strategies for whether you're someone who's really stressed or whether you're really reactive in a relationship or whether you're having trouble with your boss or management or friendships or you're going through like like life is hard and having someone like we have mentors for business, we have PTs for for coaching, we go to doctors when we're sick. Our brain is something we use 24-7. So why aren't we going to people to support us and help us with that? Like my sister's a, a psychologist as well. So it's something that's just normal in my life. But I remember when I first was encouraged to go to a therapist when my parents split up, I was like, what's talking going to do about anything? And it's like everything. It just makes you think about things differently. It helps you take accountability and responsibility for change because no one's going to come along and save you and change your life, not even your therapist, but they're going to give you the tools to do it and to do it forever. Exactly. And that's why I'm so interested in like, cause I see them as a tool to help me unlock, unlock the next, you know, perspective shift in my life. And a lot of the time, why I've been thinking about this more recently, and I actually spoke about this a little bit in the last podcast that, that we sent live. It's like, often like, cause I've been really, really passionate and into personal development for like the last five, six years as well. But it's like, I feel like at times you get to not your ceiling. There's obviously always a ceiling and how far you can go and develop yourself and learn new skills and that sort of stuff. But I feel like you'll get to certain phases at life. And in order to really go up more, you need to go back within and like start looking at, and that's all the stuff I've been thinking about before. Like, why am I the way I am? What are the triggers? What things happened to make me the way I am? And it's not like, I'm not, the reason I don't want to go there to, to change who I am or because I'm unhappy. I want to, I want to really seek understanding about all these things because then I, I don't have to let go of any of the stuff I don't want to let go of. And, and, and there's a lot of, most of what I've done is really, really served me. I've become such a self-sufficient person, but like I realized one of the things, and this is just something talking to my partner about, not even to a therapist, realize like one of the biggest core things I have in my life is protection. So a lot of what I do is a core lens that I'll, is, is protection of myself. And that's why I've become and built, I truly have, it's not up front. I've become such a, uh, someone with so much self-belief um, and I've built this, this unpenetrable mindset and, and, and stuff. And that served me a lot, but it's only can take you so far. So looking back at actually why I became that and realizing that like you can let go of certain things up from that to, you know, become a more full person in other areas of life. So I haven't started, but I'm really, really keen on uh, unpacking more. And is it, I want to ask you a question. When you go in there, you might have an idea about how you think, uh, 
uh, you're going to get to the next place, but is it often not what you thought when, when you're working with a therapist? Yeah, it can. I think because I've done, I've worked with so many different therapists, I kind of know what to expect. But if you have a good therapist, they'll come up with a plan that, you know, these are the the goals that we might have and the areas we want to work on, but the journey there mightn't necessarily be what you want. People will go in there and be like, I don't want to talk about my childhood. And it's like, well, that's <laughs> the root of everything. And if you don't want to talk about something, there's going to be some gold there. So it can be really uncomfortable, of course. And there, you know, it's really challenging and it's hard work to go into those things, but it's so worth it because, you know, the mindset you're talking about, someone listening to this mightn't be there. So therapy could be something they could do to actually get to that point where you have that really strong sense of self, really strong identity and and focus and, and drive and everything. And you might gain something out of it that you don't even expect. Because it's so funny. You said, oh, some people like, yeah, let's go to therapy. I don't want to talk about childhood. And it's like, I won't get into to the story again, but it's like, I didn't think this thing affected me. Such a major thing, major thing in my life. And I realized, no, it's actually the foundation of, upon how I became who I am. Like, um, I, I didn't meet my dad till I was 15. So I grew up with my mom and my grandparents lived there until I was five, best experience ever. And then I moved out when I was five to live with like my mom and like the, the, the step family and like three older siblings. who I didn't know a bunch of strangers. And it turns out upon reflection, I think it really was like a, traumatic experience in a way. But even back then as a child, my, all my family said, no, you handled it really well. That was the foundation of how I became this person that I am today. And it's not that I want to go back and change any of that. I'm actually really appreciative of it, but I think there's a power in just understanding yourself. You can do so much more with that. Now, therapy is a tool, obviously one of them, but I know you're obsessed with rituals and processes and, and, and things you can do to help you feel and perform your best. What are some of the other um, things you've added into your life that help you, you know, feel your best, get the best out of your day, whether it be a morning routine or whatever it may be. Yeah. You've done your research. (laughs) Yeah. I do love a morning routine. I spend a lot of time alone. I live alone. I work for myself from home. Um, So it's just me and my dog patch. I just, I love a morning routine because I feel like it just that consistency and not having to think in the morning. Cause like when you're making decisions all day as a business owner, it's so nice to have things that are just automatic and don't take up your brain power. We only have a certain amount of decisions that we can make in a day. And if we're wasting that on little things like, Oh, what time am I going to get up today? Am I going to get a coffee first? Or like, yeah, those decisions, we don't need to make them. So if we've got them on autopilot, it helps you be more effective and productive in your day. It just makes me feel good. I just, I love getting up and meditating and writing or reading. So I usually do like some um, self-development reading in the morning and meditation. And then I'll go for a walk with my dog, get a coffee, and then I'm good to go starting work. Um, I am obsessed with reading. I'm like a really big reader and I really struggled with switching off from work because I love self-development and I love reading business books. I found that when I would read those after work, my brain was still just humming. And so I've had to try and find something that helps me switch off. And I have read 24 books this year. This year already? Yeah. It's currently March 22nd. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. So I've read 24 books and they've all been fantasy fiction because it's like an escape. Mm -hmm. I just escape in this world. I don't watch TV anymore. I just, when I finish work, it's like make dinner. I'll either listen to an audio book or a podcast um, and then just read. And that really helps me switch off. Obviously training is a huge part of um, my identity, who I am and what makes me feel good and supports my mental and physical health as well. 
But yeah, there are a few of the things that really help me stay grounded. What would be one of your, I know you've read a lot of books. What would be one of your favorite business books or personal development books that stand out as like, yeah, that really impacted me? Uh, I love Ryan Holiday's books. So Ego is the Enemy um, was a really good book. That's really good with um, oh, Ego is the Enemy and Obstacle, Obstacle is the Way. That one's really good. We were talking about failure earlier. That's a really good way to just change your perception around failure. That's a really good mindset one. Um, and what have I been reading? I mean, obviously Atomic Habits is something I read years ago. That one really helped me. and. Oh my God, this is showing how little I've been reading my self-development books lately because too I'm trying the, to remember. You're into the fantasy, hey? Yeah, for real. Um, Stephen Pressfield's book, uh, that one's really good on procrastination. I can't remember the title. And business books, The Lean Startup, I'm reading at the moment. I think that's really good for apps. You were talking about um, Sunny who came on and sort of wanted to create this incredible app. I think coming up with an MVP and launching and getting feedback and trying to stay lean with both, you know, production and money is really good. And for anyone who doesn't understand like money and financials and P&Ls and things like that, um, there's a book, uh, Financial Intelligence for Entrepreneurs, which was really good, like just basics, understanding numbers and that sort I've of thing. I've never heard of that, but from what it sounds so, in, such a great book already because I know especially in e-com, like people just start businesses. Like we're in such an age that it's never been easier to start a business, which means that a lot of people don't understand really the numbers, which is like the most important part of the business if you want to do it long-term and, and successfully. So I might even have to read that myself. I've been so lucky. I've got a really, really amazing finance manager who's my cousin, so I can trust a lot. So, and he's taught me so much, but a lot of people don't have that in their life. And like people ask me, hey, do you have really good accounts? I'm like, I have an account, but it's not really an account that's going to help you really plan these things. You need to really understand them yourself and have someone in the business that's like working, living and breathing it. So it's really important. I think what you're doing is is a, a really good process. That's actually what I realized. And this goes to show like doing things sustainably is always the best way. That's what was my, my routine all of last year, pretty much. I'd read, um, I'd read uh, like personal development books or business books in the morning. And then I'd read, um, I'd read fiction at night and just something that was like to help me switch off. And then towards the end of last year and that carrying into this year, I got really into like Alex Omozzi. I don't know if you know him. Really smart with like business stuff. And like he, he's got this morning routine and, and it works for some people and it worked for me for a while. Of like you just wake up, like what's the most important priority in life right now? If it's business, you should wake up and work straight away. That should be the goal. Get there as soon as you can. And I was doing that for a while, but I did that for a few months and then just, just coming out of the other side of it a little bit, I got like a bit burnt out because I was working from the moment I went to bed to when I went to sleep and it taken me a few weeks to kind of get my normal energy levels back. And I realized, nah, like as much as I have so many goals I want to hit, like sometimes you need to do things a little bit slower to do it better and go further with it. So true. Have you ever felt burnout? Oh yeah. What you do? Yeah. Yeah. That real like hustle culture um, was a thing for a while, uh, a few years ago. And I think people started to challenge that and show a different way of doing business that meant you could still sleep and be healthy and not be a burnt out wreck. And obviously there's going to be times in your business where you really need to grind and, and work really hard and put in the hours. Like there's, there's no business that's successful that, that hasn't required that of people, but it's not sustainable. And if you are your business and it's just you and you don't have a team, it's even more important to look after yourself, but it's really hard 
because you can feel fine. And then like we were saying earlier, your body will tell you when you're not and often it's too late because we're so used to pushing through and persevering and when things are hard, still going on. But there's only a small amount of people in the world who can operate that way for forever and it's there's not a lot of people <laughs> who are like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been burnt out and I learnt the hard way and I had to take a really last-minute holiday to just sleep and rest and – I've tried to put in boundaries where I have like start and end day work times and because the nature of social media, you know, you're on it all the time and it's really easy to be on it and not think that it's work because you're just sitting on the couch on your phone, but it still is. So having boundaries has been really important and, and sort of loose structures around those sorts of things. Yeah, boundaries is is where I went wrong with that is because the whole thing he said, it's like best hours to work in the, in the morning. Like he was saying work from five, like you work from five to 4 p.m., 5 p.m. max. I was starting at five, but I was still going to like eight or nine. So mm. I was like, it just didn't work for me. So I completely burnt down. What scared me about the last time was that I realized, hey, I, I, I didn't realize I was burnt out. I realized, hey, I think I'm burning out a little bit here. I'm starting to get a little bit, you know, it's not feeling good. Uh, and then I stopped doing it and I started sleeping like 10 hours a night and I was still really tired yeah. for like one, two weeks, maybe going into the third week. I was sleeping nine, t- 10 hours when I'm usually like seven hours and I'm sweet and I was still tired. That's what scared me. I was whole shit. If I don't listen to my body here. Like it might not just be, okay, if I burn out, I'll start sleeping. I'll be sweet. No, my, I was scared that it's going to take months to, to start feeling myself. And I've got so many goals I want, want to do and achieve. So I think that listening to your body in that way and avoiding burnout should be a big priority um, for people in business. Now I want to ask you about kind of one last topic we'll go into. You mentioned it before, something you, you spoke to your therapist about, um, and it really helped you along with your healing journey. But when I was doing my research on you, some of the content that I really liked most, and obviously it resonated with your audience. And I personally, I spent quite a bit of time on, on, on Instagram, um, just the nature of my, my job over the last five years. And I haven't seen too much content like this, but your kind of breakup series about the process about you were going through your breakup and, and you kind of took people along on the journey with that. And every single piece of content had like tens and tens of thousands of likes, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. Talk to me about the decision to, to be public about that and kind of what it gave you and what you feel like it, it gave to everyone watching. Hmm. So my relationship itself was quite private and that was both a decision on my part and my ex didn't really want to be like all over my social media very much. And so I respected that. And then when we went through the breakup, which was, you know, pretty amicable, nothing sort of messy. I was like, you know what, he's out of the picture. Um, I'm going to continue to respect him and not speak about certain details of it, but I want to show people because I know that I'll be okay. I've been through enough of these to know, but I want to document this and show people what it's like. And I was on in the early days of the breakup, you know, I didn't share about it straight away but it really helped me seeing on TikTok people doing the same thing. And my mantra or whatever you want to call it with whenever I start anything, like with social media, I always had this thing with myself. If I can change one person's life, then that's going to be enough for me. And that's always been in my head from day one with Instagram back in 2015. And I was like, other people have helped me. Like I've seen other people going through these breakups and it's given me that um, connection to see that I am actually going to be okay. And I'm not alone. And I'm like, I want to do this for people too. I want to, I also want to do it for myself to show 
what I've overcome. I'm really glad I documented it because you can forget what it's like when you're in the, the depths of your pain, when you're out of it with hindsight, it's all, you know, oh yeah, that was hard and I got through it. But seeing footage of myself breaking down and crying and, and really struggling, like it's, it's raw and it's real and it's something that you don't see a lot of. You see people being like, we've broken up, they're private about it and then five months later, four months later, whatever, I'm happy now, here's my glow up. And it's like, but all the in-between is what everyone's going through but too scared to talk about because it can be kind of ugly and it can make you look like some, you know, sad girl who's been broken up with and like poor me or like, you know, whatever the like stigma is around that. There's, there's always that fear. But it's vulnerability has always helped me to connect on a deeper level with the people who are in my community and the amount of messages that I get from people saying like, I feel less alone. Thank you so much for showing this every single day because those reels, you know, they're evergreen. They're, they're constantly getting views and, and people are finding them who need them. It just makes me feel really happy that I can use that pain that I went through to help someone feel a little bit lighter or feel a little bit more hope about this really lonely journey that they're about to go through or are going through. I took away from that exactly that if I was someone going through that journey or was in a relationship where I knew I had to, to break up with someone and I knew it was the right thing, but I had the fear of the breakup and that would stop me from ripping off that bandaid and making the right decision. I feel like those videos would have really helped. Really, really would. I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here, but like seeing the pros and like, it might, might be shit for a month, two months, whatever. But there's like, there was like a bit of a framework and a process. And I know everyone's breakup is going to be so individual, but they're still so like universal that everyone can relate to. So I think like seeing that and like seeing someone else, like obviously so sad about grieving for, you've just lost a section of your life and, and a person that meant a lot to you. And you've got to figure all this stuff out, but seeing, actually seeing the journey of like before the glow up and kind of how that, you know, how that came to be was really like comforting. You know what I mean? That's, that's what I got from it. That I feel like that would have, and obviously it did. I, you would, I'm sure you got thousands of messages um, from those series, but you, you kind of, and broke it down into like, there's like steps that, that everyone goes through. What's some of the, not so much the stages of grief, but what's some of like the steps that you feel like you can go through. And then how do you help yourself heal from that breakup to actually, you know, take, you know, acknowledge the, the feeling and you can, you can, if you feel sad, but then how do you then move through that and out the other side? Mm. Yeah, I think the one that I did where it's like stages of a breakup did really well because it's like people, there's so much unknown. People don't know what to expect and they're like, am I ever going to be okay? How do I get through this? And it's like immediately your mind is just, it's, I keep calling it emotional whiplash because you, you're not thinking coherently. You're in so much pain. You're so scared and alone and you just want to do anything to make it stop and you don't think it's ever going to stop. That's the immediate like visceral gut, like wrenching pain that you go through. And then what I like, what I always do when something bad happens is I'm like, I need like to consume content and I need to be surrounded by ideas and thoughts and things of other people who've gone through it or suggestions or recommendations for what helps. So I was listening to podcasts. I was reading books. I was really leaning into those feelings, even though I didn't want to feel them. I'm definitely someone who's like head first, let's deal with this. Let's feel it. And the quicker I feel it, the quicker I will get through it because I find from 
conversations with people, a lot of it can be a very male thing to avoid and put off dealing with something until maybe a little bit down the track. Whereas I think a lot of women are like, no, I'm dealing with this. The quicker I deal with it, the quicker I'll get through it. And so that was very much my approach. Therapy was really helpful. Leaning on my friends, like they were, because I wasn't eating, they would like have me over for dinner and just comfort me and be there for me. Journaling to just get out all the, because your thoughts are just whirling in your head. So getting it out on paper so it's not sort of ruminating because they will ruminate. Um, Going no contact. So, so funny what you see on TikTok, like a lot of people like how to get him back. And I'm like, Uh. we shouldn't be. Should we be trying to get them back? But it gives you a little bit of hope at the start because you're like, maybe if I follow this, I will get them back. And then by the time you would have gotten them back, according to this timeline, this TikTok person has put out, you're over wanting to get them back. But it's just good to encourage you to not talk to them because obviously not everyone has the luxury of not talking to the ex because maybe they have a house together or a kid together or a dog together or um, they're really struggling to cut off connection. But if they're living you know, rent free in your head and you're still thinking about them constantly, they still exist and you're still devoting a part of your mindset and brain energy to them. Whereas now it's about redirecting it towards you and your healing because it's normal to think about how their healing is going and what they're doing and all those really intrusive thoughts like, oh my God, what if they're going to move on before me? What if like, yeah, what if they move on? That What does that mean about me? was I unlovable? Like really, oh, it's just, they're such hard feelings to come up against, but they're all part of the process and don't compare your, you know, your healing journey to someone else's because it's very different and people deal with things very differently, taking it moment by moment. And that's really what got me through. Well, even comparing it to theirs, if you, if you do have mutual friends and you're here and maybe Mm. it seems like they are going better and there might be multiple reasons for that. Maybe they weren't as invested in the relationship, which made the breakup even even more necessary to happen. Or maybe they 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 are struggling and they just don't see it. But you're not gonna you know you're not gonna know. And you talk about those thoughts going through your head, swirling. Did it does it did it really help putting them on paper and journaling? And what's the feeling like when you've got all these thoughts in your head and all these like negative emotions, ruminations? What, what, was it my fault? Was it me? What could I have done differently? What's the feeling like when you put them all out on paper and and you get them there? Does it help? lift the load? Yeah, it, it, it can and it can't. You know, it helps to organize your thoughts a little bit more. I think it depends on the person. I'm someone who likes to understand their thoughts, maybe almost to my detriment because I try to analyze every single thing that happens. And it's like, sometimes that's just what happened just because it did and like, just leave it and move on. And there's a like diffusion tactic that my therapist has given me where it's almost like a meditation where it's, I guess it's like mindfulness where you don't latch on to the, the thought, but you don't try and push it away. You just let it be there and eventually it sort of dissipates and, and goes away. And you're like, oh, cool. That thought didn't have that chokehold on me anymore. Easier to do when you're sort of further along in it because at the start, the ruminating is just going to happen. Distraction, um, I wouldn't say is a long-term solution, but healthy distraction can be really positive. For me, it was reading reading books and, and escaping a little bit just to give my brain and my heart and my body a break from thinking about it so much. Um, but I think there's a lot of merit to writing as well as a reflection piece because you can look back and I've got other breakups I wrote about and, and I was like, was it this bad then? And I look back and see that I'm dealing with this breakup a lot differently than I did in previous ones. Cause in previous ones, it would be 
so like obviously so much sadness, but a lot of like trying to solve them and fix them to almost not take the responsibility for my part in it. Whereas this is like, okay, what can I learn from it? What can I, how can I be different next time? And and what triggers has this brought up that I can actually use in therapy to understand? So now my relationship's over. I've dropped back to once a month with therapy because I'm not as triggered. The tr- they're still there. The triggers just aren't coming up because a relationship is such a huge thing that holds a mirror to, to what those triggers are. And you repeat a lot of your behaviors and, and things that happened in, in childhood with a partner. So I'm like, damn, I've lost that, um, that ability to sort of see what's going on. But yeah, if you use what you've written to help direct some of that as well, it can be really beneficial. It's so interesting how every person's perspective on these sorts of things is so different. Like I'm someone who likes to find quite a bit of meaning in, in a lot of things that have happened as well, but we had Brett Conlon on yesterday and he, he was the shark attack survivor um, that I mentioned. Incredible story and he's done amazing things since then and obviously gets asked so many questions about it. And everyone's like trying to like anal- over- analyze all these things. If you did this differently, if that happened and all, all this stuff. And he's like, honestly, like you can do that about anything and everything. Like sometimes you just have to make the choice that it happened and move on. It's like it's just such a different way of thinking. And for some people, maybe that's the right way to go about it and they can. But I feel like such the classic, I'm sure you would have seen the videos, the classic or the memes, the classic male versus female breakups, like day one for the females, like really sad, week one, really sad, week one for the males, really happy. And like the male starts here, the female starts there. And then as they, like the women going up and the guys, when they can't avoid it anymore, or they've, you know, what they thought being single was going to be like, they've, they've had that and realized it's not. And then only after such a long period of time, guys will deal with it or they won't at all. And I'll just push it down and hope it doesn't come back. But most likely I'd say it probably does or every single time in future relationships and things. So it's just very interesting the different ways that males and females approach breakups. And I think I would have been, if I was to have a breakup earlier in life, I would have been much more like the male path. And I don't think it's like necessarily male or female thing. I just think women generally are more in touch with their emotions and they think things through more. And guys are just like you said, they'll just avoid it or distraction. And because a lot of guys aren't taught to, to, to manage their emotions and those thoughts. But I think now, obviously, hopefully I don't ever go through a breakup with my partner now and don't see that happening. But if I did ever have to go through that, I'd like to think that I'd approach it in a much more head on way doing it the way you did, because like there's, there's a process for that. And yeah, I just think probably your age, you think obviously maturing and understanding yourself so much more would have helped with that process. But yeah, for anyone who, who's going through a breakup, honestly, go check them out because they're such powerful pieces of content, only, you know, a minute piece each time, but really, really powerful stuff. Um, but we'll start to wrap it up. I kind of want to know where, where do you go from here? You've got so many things going on. You've got ama- amazing business. You work with some incredible brands. How do you scale what you're doing now? And what do you, what do you envision the next, you know, two to five years of your life looking like? Yeah. So I think, with the new app launching this year, that's going to put me in a really different position to start to use data to make some very different decisions. And we're going to be changing the price point a bit. So the hope is to reach more people and give more people access to what we do at Train With Soph. I'm actually rebranding. So it's going to be under a different name as well, which is exciting and fun and opens up opportunities. So it's not just me that's that it's relying on. Um, you know, me being the face of 
all the pieces of content and the branding and my style of training. So we're going to try and diversify a bit there as well, which I'm very excited about. There's a few other things um, I have planned for the app, but I'll I'll keep them <laughs> under wraps for now. I've just got to get this thing out yeah, first. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just continuing to work with brands I really love. There's a few other little business ventures I am considering, but my main focus is train with Soph and really building that, building the team, maybe getting um, opening an office and trying to just continue to help women build their confidence and add value to them in any way we can and grow. Mm. I think it's a good decision as well. Sonny said the same thing. It's like when he removed, it used to be Sunny Webster Academy. Now he's got it under different names. Said that helped so much. Mm. Exactly the reasons you said. So obviously you're on the right track with that. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about potentially just any of the stuff that we've spoken about or train with Soph, where's the best place to find you and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so Instagram, Train With Soph on Instagram or Sophie Allen on Instagram, same handles on TikTok as well and websites, just Train With Soph, so easy enough to find. Cool. Honestly, I had so much fun chatting. Um, an hour and 11 minutes went so fast, right. literally, I know. But thanks so much. Um, enjoy your time in Sydney. Have fun at the Stacks event later. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to watch everything you do from here. Thank you. Thanks. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.